Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 20, just one verse today. This is the word of the Lord. Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that in it you speak truth to us, truth that changes our hearts, and truth, Lord, that when we are faithful, changes the hearts of the culture around us. So, Spirit of God, we pray that you would be the teacher here this morning. Take your truth, what is true, and drive it deep into our hearts, as we always pray, and change us, make us more like you, cause us to do more things like you would do. Love as you love, live as you live. So we commit ourselves to you as we come now to your word. Feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, may be seated. I wanted to say this morning that I truly do count it a privilege, really, to be able to stand here every week in this pulpit and preach. It really is a great, uh, a great privilege. Today, I would call it more like processing uh, with you. Uh, a week like this, trying to process along with God's truth in our hearts and our minds. And I know that this Sunday is not different from any other Sunday. And this day is not different from any other day in as much as this Sunday and any other day, the call on our lives is the same, and that is to keep our eyes fixed on our God, who is great and glorious and good and gracious. We're to fix our hope this day and every day on our God, who is great and glorious and good and gracious. You and I today, this day, as every day, are to keep our hearts turned toward that perfect standard that God reveals to us here in his word. You and I look up with with hope this morning from a reality of a world that's broken. And so with broken lives and in a broken world, I remind myself, and therefore, because I'm here, I remind you as well, that we don't give up. We don't give in to despair. We keep reaching for God. We keep striving for that perfect standard, using the grace that God lavishes upon us and the power of his spirit that he places within us. And we live in hope. Here's our hope. That if we are faithful, you and I, we can make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. We can. In many ways, I feel like God prepared us last week as we were here together for what would happen this week. We talked about God's perfect standard for his people, and that standard is a well-ordered life. God spoke these words into chaos, let there be, let there be, over and over again, and into chaos came God's order, a well-ordered universe, a well-ordered earth. A well-ordered life for us, six days of work a week and one day off to be renewed and refreshed in the enjoyment of our God week after week. This is God's order. We talked last week here from Deuteronomy chapter 16 and 17 
of his plan to order the lives of his people in the promised land with officers and judges and priests and prophets and eventually a king. This is God's authority system and God's structure for the lives of his people. And through it, he means to bless their lives. And through God's order and through God's structure, he means to push back the chaos that will press in on them from every side. This morning, the verse that we've read, we see that God's perfect standard to effectively implement God's structure is verse 20. Follow justice and justice alone. Follow justice and justice alone. That is God's perfect standard for his people, that we be just people, because our God certainly is a just God. But here's the problem, and you don't need me to remind you of it, but chaos is always calling. And chaos is always seeking to pervert justice. And so God even warns us here in this passage to be on guard against that call of chaos. Look in verse 19. He says there, Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Now why does God have to give us this command? Why does God have to issue this warning to us? Here's why. God knows the human heart. God knows the greed that's found in the human heart, yours and mine included, the self-promotion, the desire to satisfy self. And that heart will take a bribe. Because you see, and you know it's true, because it's true in my life as well, sometimes with smoke and mirrors and chaos and confusion and deception, we get what we want and we hide what we get. And if we have to take a bribe to do that, that's fine with us. Who cares if justice is perverted? Who cares if injustice is perpetrated in this world against innocent people? If I gain from it something for myself, why not heed the call to chaos? Again, as we saw last week, on every level, every person on every level of God's order heeded the call to chaos in their life. Samson, the judge, wanted and therefore pursued this illicit relationship with Delilah repeatedly. Chaos ensued, enslavement for Samson, blindness. The wicked priests, Eli's sons, they stole the sacrifices that people brought to the temple to give to God. They stole it for themselves. They slept with the women at the gate and chaos ensued. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. Israel was defeated by the Philistines and both of these priests died on the same day. King Manasseh, we talked about him, the most wicked of all the kings in Judah, set up altars to to pagan gods in the temple of God. He sacrificed his own son, his own son, to the flames of the fire, to those gods. He led the people of Judah in more wickedness than had been done by the people of the land they dispossessed. And scripture tells us that he shed so much innocent blood that Jerusalem was filled with that innocent blood from one end to the other. The prophets, they lied. They said, oh, here's a word from the Lord from you. But the Lord said, I didn't speak that word. They were lying prophets. And chaos ensued. Jerusalem was destroyed. People were killed. Those left alive were taken into slavery. Chaos everywhere. None of these people, none of them obeyed God's command to follow justice and justice alone. 
And so for their own gain, for their own glory, for their own pleasure, they perverted justice and everyone in their wake suffered because of it. I think we are unwise here, you and I. We're unwise if we don't check our hearts. If we don't check our own lives for those acts of injustice. Perhaps they won't be as flagrant as those that we've read about this morning. They seem smaller to us and yet they are unjust acts. Maybe we say something a little unjust about another person if it means a little more glory for ourselves. Maybe we let someone else believe something unjust about another person. And we remain silent if it means just a little more glory for ourselves. Maybe there's some pleasure that we are seeking in life. We're seeking it in the wrong way, so we're just a little bit unfaithful. And we treat someone else a little unjustly so that we can get what we want. Justice in this world, on every level, so often seems elusive. And we will never see true justice. We will never see true justice in this world until we address the human heart. The human heart is what keeps us from justice. Whenever doing what is just or what is right costs us something, we too easily let justice go. If doing the right thing means that we don't get what we want, then we don't want to do the right thing. If doing the right or just thing means we don't get to keep what we have and we want to keep it, then we don't do the just or the right thing. I could go on and on with examples. But the point is that living by God's standard, God's perfect standard of justice and justice alone, it will cost us. And very often it's a price that we are not willing to pay. Because it requires from each of us making a heart change. So multiply that by millions of people who are reticent or hesitant to make that heart change. Person after person, million after million. And you see how it is that we come to live in an an unjust world where there's economic injustice and social injustice and racial injustice. But all of the injustice that we see in the world starts right here in a heart that will not be right and do right. Follow justice, God says, and justice alone. Micah 6.8, you know it well. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? But we don't do it. Because justice costs us too much. And we're deluded. We're so deluded because we think the cost of the injustice and the chaos that accompanies it, we think that's a lesser price than we would have to pay if we do the right thing. And yet this week, we've had to pay that price. And it's a high one. The only answer to injustice in the world is a radical heart change. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The King James reads, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The New Living Translation, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. 
Who really knows how bad it is? Why won't we believe this truth about ourselves or others? You know, for what reasons are we, you and I, allowed to exclude ourselves from this desperate, wicked heart club? Why do we get to pick and choose who goes in that club? Would we put Dylan, Ruth, yeah, he's in that club. But maybe not a reporter, well-dressed, articulate, well-placed socially, comes to Charleston. The hope of a riot ebbs away before their very eyes. No riots, no FaceTime for them on the cameras. No riot, no more opportunities to print their words, unless, of course, they could foment some anger and some unrest and cause a riot. Who is more evil? Who is more wicked? Whose heart is worse? Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And maybe Peter wrote those words because Peter remembered when Jesus came to him and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And Peter was sifted like wheat. He deserted Jesus. He denied knowing him three times. And his friend, when he was crucified on the cross, was crucified without Peter there. Yes, our enemy, our adversary is real and at work. And tragedies like the ones that our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel have experienced this week, that our whole city has experienced, remind us that God speaks truth to us when he says that we have an adversary that seeks to defeat and destroy us. The great chaos maker, the great deceiver, the great confuser. And since we know that God is telling us the truth and we don't doubt that that's true, why won't we believe that he's also telling us the truth when he talks about the desperate condition of the human heart. That our hearts, before Jesus comes in and does transplant surgery and gives us a new one, apart from that, the human heart is wicked, beyond understanding. They require radical help. Unless, of course, we believe that they really aren't that bad. Unless we believe, and I'm telling you, almost every person around you in your life believes this is true, that everyone is basically good at heart. They'll tell you that. If you dig deep enough, you will find that everyone is good at heart. But you and I can't forever separate ourselves from these portraits that we've read about, from these people in Scripture. We cannot forever separate ourselves and our hearts qualitatively from the heart of Dylan Roof. Well, actually, that's not true. We can separate ourselves from them. And we do separate ourselves from them. And so we miss out on the beauty of the gospel and its radical nature and the radical change that it brings and how desperate you and I are for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to see justice in this world, If we want to act justly in this world, then we have got to stop denying what is in the human heart and start believing the power of the gospel. 
God sees the need for something radical to help all of us out of our desperate situation. The incarnation. Imagine God himself coming to earth. That's radical. The perfect God of the universe living in human form among the sights and smells and consequences and the chaos of the sin of this world, that's radical. The crucifixion, this same God dying on the cross, that's radical. Radical acts from a radical God performed because radical change is needed. Who could argue about that? This week, anyway. We've got to stop believing that people are basically good at heart and that from the human heart flows the milk of human kindness. That's not God's assessment. That's Shakespeare's assessment. And if we persist in that thinking, we'll rob ourselves. We will rob ourselves of the motivation to apply the gospel to our own hearts or to apply the gospel or speak the truth of the gospel to anyone else in our lives because we believe, you know what, they'll be okay because they're basically good at heart. You know, we'll say things like this. ISIS wouldn't be a problem if these men only had jobs. If these, if these men had jobs and a way to make a living, ISIS wouldn't be a problem. So that's our diagnosis. And what's the cure? Well, we will strive to create jobs for them. You see, that's quite different than just being bold enough to speak the truth. And here is the truth. These are intentionally evil acts that come from desperately wicked, chaotic hearts that choose to believe and do wicked things. Now, when we rightly diagnose the problem, then we can rightly present the cure, which is the gospel. Christ is our only hope. That's the truth. You know, the book of Psalms, it's just one book in the Bible. We have to remember that its contents were written over the course of a thousand years from Moses all the way to the time of uh, of the Babylonian captivity. And throughout this span of century after century, God's people have always cried out to God in desperation. Lord, we need you. Desperation over their own sin. Desperation over evil. Desperation over injustice. Always seeking God for the cure. David writes in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 79 O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They've defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They've given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. The flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the field. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. Ethan writes in Psalm 89, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Psalm 34, 1, How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. 
You have seen, O Lord, do not be silent. O Lord, be not far from me. And this one from Habakkuk, the prophet. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. But then comes the Lord's answer to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So once again, God speaks truth. God is preparing the world for the gospel. God is preparing the world for Christ. Why? We we, we wouldn't have believed if God had just spoken the words of the gospel to us. Why? We can hardly believe the gospel. As we watch Jesus acted out before our very eyes. But Jesus has always been God's plan. Always been God's plan. The gospel has always been the unbelievable work that God is about. It's all over the New Testament. I'd rather read God's word to you this morning than my own. Jesus is everywhere. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's Jesus. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That's Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of understanding and wisdom. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. That's Jesus. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. That's Jesus. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up a voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. One more. Jeremiah 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Christ is our only hope. Now when I say that there's a response that you should make. And I think you know what it is. Christ is our only hope. The only plan. The only plan that God has ever offered for help, for hope, for justice, it is Jesus. 
And if this week's tragedy points people to Jesus, if it points them to their need for him, then good can come out of tragedy. And if the media will lay aside attempts to stir up a riot, if they'll faithfully report how one family member after another after another stood up in court and faced the one who had taken the lives of their family and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. God bless you. You need Christ and your life will be a whole lot better than it is right now. If that message will go out over and over and over and over again throughout the world, good can come with this. Their message of hate, your hate will not win. God's love will triumph. This is a radical response to radical violence. It's an inexplicable response to the world. The world has taken it back. What? Where's your hate? Where's your anger? If Satan-inspired hate brings forth God-inspired love, then Satan's been beaten in his own game. If Satan-inspired injustice brings about God-inspired justice, then Satan has been beaten at his own game. Jesus is God's answer to the injustice of the world. His life, his word, his action, perfect justice lived out before us. So if you you and I will follow justice and justice alone as we're commanded to do here, then you and I must follow Christ. Tragedies like this one that we have experienced this week, they are like violent hurricanes that come ashore. And once a violent hurricane has come ashore and passed on, it leaves a different landscape in its wake. Things never look the same again. And hurricanes are always markers for us. Almost 26 years later, Hurricane Hugo is still a marker here in the city of Charleston. Well, before Hurricane Hugo, it looked like this. But now it looks like this. Charleston is not the same place after Wednesday. The shootings that have taken place have permanently changed the landscape, permanently changed the landscape of the city. We can't go back. And things don't look the same to us anymore. This sanctuary doesn't look the same to us anymore. Because now we know it's not truly a sanctuary. Not truly a safe place because someone can transgress it. It can be penetrated. You know, our welcome all, welcome all landscape has changed just a little bit. And you know it's true. Because there's now a question for us. Is the apparently sincere worshiper really what they seem? So the question for us is this. Is there any way to make this new landscape in which we now live appear beautiful to us and not blighted? Is there any way the landscape that is left behind any way to make it beautiful to us and not blighted? Well, the answer is yes, but only with the gospel. The tragedy should remind us of the, the desperate need for the gospel because of the desperate situation of the human heart. 
And this tragedy should motivate complacent people, should motivate complacent people to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And isn't this where you and I truly are the most unjust in our lives? Are we not unjust? When you and I, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God, have been shown the truth of our own hearts, have been shown our need for Christ, have turned from our sin, repented, and received the gift of life, life everlasting, are we not unjust to keep that news to ourselves? Are we not unjust to sit complacently by and say, oh, they'll be all right if I don't say anything, and let them go on living with unchanged hearts and go on dying with unchanged hearts. I say that that is injustice on our part and we need to do something to right it. The only way to change the landscape of Charleston and make it beautiful is with the gospel. The only way is for you and for me to have a kingdom vision, the kingdom of God growing person to person, extending, pushing back the chaos of the world around us, and a passion to see our culture transformed for Christ. Because with that commitment to a kingdom vision, and with that passage to speak the words of the gospel, the landscape will change. It will become beautiful. It will become less blighted to us. God promises. And as we've seen all morning, God speaks truth to us about our own hearts. And so he speaks truth to us again. And here's his promise, that he will bring bloom where there appears to be only barrenness. Isaiah 35 says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God, strengthen weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God, will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. See, it's true. The landscape can change. This morning, as we've said, we weep with those who weep, and we mourn with those who mourn, but we do not mourn as those without hope. We have hope. We have hope in Christ, even when easy answers are difficult to come by. And so my final words this morning, they're going to be the final words of scripture. The vision that Jesus gave to the apostle John recorded to us, for us in the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks to John and he says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. He who testifies to these things, Jesus himself says, surely I am coming soon. 
Surely I'm coming soon. And John responds, as we should all respond, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Can we say that? Amen, come Lord Jesus. One more time. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, as always, for speaking, just for speaking to us, being a God who is not remote and distant, but being a God who who speaks. You love us enough, Lord, to communicate with us, and what you communicate is always truth. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us the truth. Thank you that in your word you set your standard before us, and we've seen it this morning. That you call your people, that's those of us gathered here this morning, to seek justice and justice alone. Father, I pray that we would hear your truth this morning and that we would take it to heart. We thank you, Lord, that you have done this heart transplant in so many of us. That you have taken out that desperately wicked heart and you have replaced it with a new heart. A heart of love and joy and peace and patience. Lord, all those things who you are. You've given us that new heart. So Father, I pray that you would convict us once again, that you would give us the desire to see the culture around us transformed. Father, I pray that you would give us a kingdom vision to see your kingdom extended here in Charleston. Father, this blighted landscape would bloom with the glory of the gospel. As love triumphs over hate and justice triumphs over evil and the gospel triumphs over sin in our lives. Father, before we leave this place and go our separate ways and maybe even Father's Day celebrations, we need to take a few more moments silently before you. And I pray that in this moment, of silence before you, Lord, that we will confess our complacency before you, that we will recognize it as an injustice that we perpetrate on others by refusing or not caring enough to speak the truth of the gospel to them. So in the next few moments, Lord, we'll confess that sin, and I pray that you would bring to the mind of every person here that person, those people that so desperately need to hear the gospel. Convict us, Lord, that they won't be okay. They aren't okay, and they will not eternally be okay without a radical heart transplant. Bring those people to our mind, Lord, and help us commit in our minds and hearts right now that we will speak the truth of the gospel to them.
Father in heaven, now I ask that for those who have in these very brief moments made commitments to you, those who have responded to the call of the Spirit in their lives, I pray that by your Spirit you would give them the strength to, to follow through on that. And that, Lord, while we're thinking of others and looking toward them, that we'd also look at our own hearts. And that, Father, we would faithfully apply the gospel to our own lives every day to speak the truth of it to ourselves so that from hearts that are daily embracing the gospel will flow these beautiful acts of justice. We confess before you and acknowledge before you once again, Lord, that in Christ and Christ alone, he is our hope. He is the hope for our city. He's the hope for our country. He is the hope for our world. Help us to place our hope in you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.